This is the Power Power Podcast. My name is Sarah of Underground Crowds. We hit Bible topics, smash book studies, punch out some songs here and there, and light up his word to strengthen our souls. Thanks for listening. This is Acts 17, 16 through 34. Let's read. Well, first I'll pray and then let's read. Lord, I pray that you help us um, keep our momentum as believers um, despite the onslaught of attacks and feeling like there's just evil all around. Um, I pray that you help us move forward and not backward in, in this. And that I pray that you help us uh, understand that there's not really a neutral place that we can stay. Um, there's the peace of God that's available to us through obedience. And this is a motion that you want us to be in, a movement that you want us to be in, a, a moving forward. Um, and as we faith step, we're and we are obedient, this peace reigns over. I pray that you help us in this um, section that we're studying in Acts. And thank you for your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 17, 16 through 34. Now Paul waited for them at Athens. His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that this city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all of the Athenians and foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men, to dwell on all the face of the earth, and he has determined their pre-appointed times, and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that we, so that they should seek the Lord, and in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. 
For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stones, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from them. However, some men joined him and believed, among them Dionysus and Arapagite, the Arapagite, and the woman Damaris, Damaris, and others with them. So we're talking about probably a couple of things, but today in this little passage, um, but today I thought it was interesting provoked, the word provoked, as Paul was walking around Athens and he was waiting, he was provoked by the idol worship that he witnessed. Some of us are provoked to go hide. Some of us are provoked and alarmed and we isolate. Some of us are provoked and we lash out. Some of us are provoked and we disengage, become despondent. Um, I've been in all of these camps. Some of us are provoked like Paul and he looks for a way to spread the gospel. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. I don't know if you've ever been to a country where idolatry is rampant. Um, I have. And... Um, more and more this is bleeding into the West. Um, obviously it's under some kind of a guise, it's fading, but some kind of a guise of traditional Christian values. Even here in uh, Germany, there's Sunday off and everybody knows it's the Sabbath. They keep all the major holidays, the Ascension, the, the um, we have the Ascension and we have, uh, uh, we have another holiday about the Holy Spirit. Um, dwelling with believers. We have these holidays here in Germany and, and people know what they are. Um, so there's definitely a, um, a superficial adherence to the God of Scripture. But I have been to a country that was steeped, I mean, idols everywhere, um, everywhere. And it's, it's a, and this is, this is no different than Paul. Paul's walking around Athens and there is gods of every single kind. And as we make lip service to God in Western cultures, what really has our heart will find 
Um, whereas I, when I was visiting, visiting this country, it was more on the surface. It was more what you could see was on the surface. The idolatry was on the surface. What we have over in the Western culture is lip service toward God, which is harder to navigate sometimes. It's kind of easy to just confront false gods. But when you make a show of honoring the God of the Bible, but your heart is aligned with other things that you value and that you lift up, what are some of those things we can think of? Well, job, status, money, these can all very neatly, I find, fit under a, a sheen of religion. You can go to church and you can do your churchy thing and you can even, you can read the Bible every day. But what you're really attached to is your sex life. Is your, I was just watching a little clip today about, I, I don't even know what the word is, but it was talking about how um, the, the idea that you can have multiple sexual relationships um, and be a, and, and be a Christian, be under the guy, uh, this is really twisted, but because of the, or what they say is, um, the example of the Trinity, I just, I, I want to take a bath now. It is such an affront. It is so upsetting to me and I don't want to judge. I'm not trying to I, I'm not trying to uh, sling mud mud sling over here. But if you your what I want want to say at this point is that it's not God you're interested. You're interested in fitting God into your lifestyle and redefining him for your lifestyle, which I think is gross, and I would like to just wash that off. I And you're fitting, well, you're fitting God into what you want to do, but your real God there is what? It's your sexual lifestyle. If, our, if what, who we think we are and how we identify ourselves is not changed consistently in a moving forward momentum. And I, friend, you can start from anywhere. I'm not saying because you're, you're struggling with this idea um, that you're condemned. I'm not saying anybody's condemned. If you're still walking on this earth, you're not condemned. So I'm not, I, that's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is as you walk with God, these little ways we identify ourselves, and they're not little, they can take over our status, our money, our sex, sex life, all of this. They, they take completely over. But if those things are not consistently moving forward, being conformed to the image of Christ, we're, something, something is missing. Because 
This is what it's like with a relationship with God, is that he will counter all of those things that lift themselves up against him. And it doesn't matter what it is. Jesus was celibate. And I say that because we have a real problem, and I will agree with you, we have a real problem with elevating marriage up to a status that it is not intended to be lifted up to in Christian circles. So we make marriage a little idol for our wife to worship so that she will, for example, so that she won't go out of the bounds of what her husband thinks she should be doing. So what it's kind of twisted. We, we make marriage an idol for her. And ultimately, since we are not, we don't, we have not fallen in love with Christ enough to want her to love Christ. We, we really want her to love us. We, we have become little Jesus. And, and I'm not in a good way. We've become little G for ourselves. And we'll shame her if she gets out of bounds. And tell her that it, it's really, you, you need to honor the marriage. You need to, you need to serve me and the kids. That's your God now. And what you're really saying is I'm your God. So I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit over here and throw stones at people that are doing that whole Trinity thing and justifying their multiple relationships because we got another real twisted thing going on where we have lifted up marriage so much so in scripture that we have made it a God. And it's real easy. You, and I, this was a while ago, but every little G God, I, and I wrote out, I should probably go find him, but I wrote out all the things that little G gods require of you. And it's servitude, it's fear, always sacrificing. You must constantly serve little G gods. You must constantly serve your sexual appetite, yes or no. You don't have a choice. You must constantly serve that money wagon. You must constantly serve it. Because you've got to keep it up. You've got to keep putting money in the bank. Yes or no? Because there's a fear attached to it. Am I right or wrong? There's a fear attached to it. There's a fear you're going to run out. There's a fear you're not going to be wanted. There's a fear that you're going to suffer emotionally. And, it's, and status is the same way. You're not going to have the right image. People might look down on you. You constantly have to serve the God because it's closely attached to fear. You're serving the God and demand sacrifices. 
and the sacrifices, your family, your integrity, your character, your relationship with God, they all, they all go on the altar. So Paul, so Jesus was celibate. That's the starting point. There, it's not a mistake that he was celibate. Oh, like if he just didn't choose to get married. No, he was celibate for a reason. What was, I mean, he was gracious. To who, it would not have been wrong if he had gotten married. But he spared this woman because he, he was aimed at the cross. But the starting point for all of us was singleness. Yes or no? Yes. What would be the end game for all of us? Singleness. Singleness. We're not going to be married in heaven. So Paul is looking at this idolatry coming in all forms. But this is overt. This is overt. But coming in all forms. I mean, there was, you know, orgies or whatever and all that. All that. Um, sacrifices and yada yada and it, it, over and over he could literally walk around the city and see it and see it and he was provoked and as i said before some of us when we're provoked we're we we don't think that it's the same enemy when we're provoked when someone just goes off the rails for us morally I gave that illustration that, you know, the, the, the people are like, you know, this is legit because of the Trinity and, and feeling gross. By God's grace on purpose because sometimes we're confronted, yes or no, with stuff we don't feel like we would ever do or excuse. And our first response is to run because it would it makes us uncomfortable it's just not a, a line of we're not going down that road I, i'm not interested in that dialogue i'm not i'm not running to that conflict and we don't have to go to every conflict but we don't have to take every invitation but we're we're definitely if that's on this track, we're on the other track. But what does Paul do? He takes that provocation. <laughs> that's not a word. Sarah makes up words on this podcast. He takes that provocation. There we go. And he does something with it. And he does something with it that's extremely humble. He's willing to talk with whoever will talk with him. And he goes to places where people are. And he seeks out opportunities to witness. And you can tell just by the wording that he's not doing this with a provocation that we're dealing with now. Somebody's provoked now or triggered now. It's, you know, who knows how that's going to go down. He was provoked. 
and he extends grace. I could think about this for a long time because when Sarah gets provoked, you know, I'm not saying grace is always involved here, but I would love to be the kind of person who would, when provoked, extends grace. Peace out. Again, thanks for listening. Catch the next part of this series, usually Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. You can also find Underground Crowds on Twitter, Patreon, Bandcamp, or undergroundcrowds.com.